I, I want to ask you all a question. And based on some research I've done, I think I know the answer. How many of you like to see the potential in things? Like to see the potential of what something could be? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything is told on y'all that you like it a lot. There's uh, the kind of quickest way for you to become a Facebook sensation where you move from just a couple of friends liking it or you move from a few people liking your, your Instagram to actually being able to start making money is if you choose to do a renovation or a transformation type of post. Like, like, like if you are the type of person that's like, you know what? I see that bench or that dresser. And I could change the dresser into this new dresser. People start liking it. Or if you say, oh, I can do a renovate a house and I'll take what was burned up or torn down and I can see the potential in it. And then you put a new kitchen in. Y'all, you ain't even got to be that dope. Let's just say you walk past a house with a bunch of bushes. There's a dude who every Friday, he has a lawn cutting service. On Fridays, he does free lawn cutting. The only thing he does is find someone that might be elderly who cannot cut their own grass, and he goes and cuts their grass for free. And you see now, like, these giant hedges hiding the house, and then this beautiful window, or what looked like a front yard full of grass. Now you see this beautiful paved walkway. The potential is there. You ain't even got to be amazing at it. Just be willing to invest in it. Family, we've been going through our series in evangelism, understanding what it means to be reconciled by God, and then we go out and are used by God to see others reconciled to him. And God has this amazing way of seeing potential in all of us. Will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9? We are going to spend some time unpacking why God gets passionate about his people being cared for. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 35, and if you are uh, with us and have a pew Bible, can somebody shout out that page for us? 1386, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Jesus grows throughout these towns. He's connecting with people. He's communicating with people. And he does three things, three things which we get, but one of them is kind of foggy. He teaches them. He's teaching them Old Testament ethics. He's teaching them the law. He's teaching them how to understand God's heart and his love for people. He also begins healing every disease and healing sickness. We can wrap our minds around that because all of us have had an ailment at some point or another. I was um, just with my kids yesterday and I bent down and I was trying to um, uh, uh, put a, a cover over a light switch. And then I started getting up. I was like, ooh. And my mother-in-law was like, you okay? I'm like, that's just my body. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm just aching, you know, just, hey, you're getting old. Things happen. You feel it. And you, you, you know what, even if it's not for yourself, what it's like for someone else to experience healing. And that Jesus was caring for people. Jesus was deeply relational. One pastor says, in, in understanding Jesus' healing, he says, the most important commandment Jesus gave is for us to love God and love one another. Jesus demonstrates healthy relationships are so important that God didn't just suggest that we treat others well. He commanded it. He commanded that we treat each other well by loving each other and caring for one another even when we are in sickness. Because you and I know sickness ain't always neat. I still remember my most embarrassing moment, and I, and I will say, I knew that my wife was going to be my wife. Because, y'all, I wanted to get sick and be like, <laughs> uh, excuse me, would you mind giving me a tissue? Y'all, I had that food poisoning sick, that oop, oop, oop. It was, hey, everywhere. It wasn't neat. And typically when you are at your sickest, people are like, mm, okay, we, mm, call us, you know. Jesus is stepping into situations where people have said, let's remove ourselves. He's healing the sickest of the sick. But there's this one thing that he says that we'll gloss over quickly if we, if we get so excited about the things that are neat, so excited about the things that seem miraculous. Healing and disease and sickness is amazing. But he says that there's something that he did in the towns. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What did, what did this mean? What did this mean? This, this is a, a concept that, that it's easy for us to wrap our minds around, but we don't like to. We don't like to. Jesus says some words that help us understand what he meant by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And that's found five chapters beforehand in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus has this experience with Satan, and Satan tries to tempt him to not be who God is, tries to tempt him and get him off of his goal of bringing honor and glory to God. After Jesus rebukes him and does not fall into that temptation, Jesus begins to preach. And in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12, it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And look at verse 17, what it's about to say, he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Repenting is something we do when we turn from our wicked ways. It's acknowledging that you must turn from one kingdom to join another. Because you can't play on both teams. Have you uh, uh, ever seen a have you ever seen a child play on a team and then they score a basket in, in the wrong hoop? They, they, they out there, they, they dressed appropriately, they, they ready for the game, and, and what is crazy is that they think they're doing the right thing because of the way we celebrate them. They start going the wrong way, we get loud. No, no, but all they hear is volume. Yes, yes. They, you, they, they, they think they're doing the right thing, but it's actually working for their enemy. For their opposition. You see, kingdom mindset is one where Jesus says repentance is something to wake you up, to make you say you're going the wrong way. Even if everybody is celebrating you, even if you feel like they got your back, you're going the wrong way. You must turn towards God. And Jesus is saying, wait, 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 this is not just a preference. This is a kingdom issue. It's so important that I lead by waking you up to say, hey, would you consider switching kingdoms? Might might you think about it? Um, If you have time, would you? He says, repent. Wake up. Because your life is at stake. It rubs me the wrong way. Everything in we, we were meeting having a um, we were meeting having a time with our WLC, our Women's Leadership Council, and our elders. We were meeting, and we were talking about evangelism. And Pastor K said something that I didn't like. Pastor K said evangelism is is sharing the gospel with the intent to persuade. Now my flesh didn't like it. Because when I hear the term persuade, it makes me feel as like, oh, who am I to persuade you? Oh, I'm high and mighty. I've arrived, so now I get to tell you what it should be like. But see, that's not the heart at all, and it's not what Pastor K's heart was, and it was my flesh responding to a beautiful truth. See, see, if somebody is about to do something that is painful, if someone's about to do something that is foolish, if someone's about to do something that is unhealthy, I will stop them. I will persuade them not to do it. Bruh, like, trust me, 
Your money is valuable to you. The restaurant in there, food is nasty. Please don't go in there and spend your money. They don't even cook the chicken all the way. You know, like, 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 we will persuade you on something that ain't even all that important. So why wouldn't I be willing to talk to you so that you can adjust your kingdom perspective and choose rightly? If I can be honest, it's because we give more value to some of these other kingdoms than we should. So we don't believe sometimes that it's Jesus and everything else is hell-bent. That's sharp. That hurts. It's reality, though. Jesus is so loving that he would die for us. He's not giving his life for us. He's not saying, I'm bringing in one of many kingdoms. He's not saying it's one suburb next to another suburb, and you just pick which one you prefer. He's saying, I am the only kingdom. You used to submit to that king, and that was cool. I understood that you had your life aligned with him. Now I'm giving you new opportunity. Which one will you choose? I'm offering you eternal life. Is that worth you being persuaded? And so Jesus communicates a shock to the system when he says, I'm coming to proclaim the good news. Why won't we? I'll be honest with you. When it comes to talking about Jesus and sharing the good news, the part that I'm most reluctant to share is repent. I'll tell you about love. I'll tell you about kindness. These other two things of teaching. Yeah, I'll teach you some stuff. Let's talk. Let's talk. These other, the other aspect of healing people and seeing diseases change. Let's do all that. Let's serve people. Let's build hospitals. Let's do everything else. Proclaiming the good news. The good news is that I no longer am under a king who hates me. I get to be under a king who loves me. That's good news. Why don't we persuade people to that end? Because Satan is fooling us. He tricks us into believing that if a person has, what what, what, what are we going to name? If a person has a good marriage, they're okay. If a person has good money, they're okay. If they have beautiful kids, they're okay. If they got a nice car, they're okay. What, what What makes the list that checks us off to be like, well, they bad, but they ain't really that bad. I mean, they need God, but they don't really need God that, that much. And what the world would lead you to believe as Christians is that because we take a stand and believe that repentance is a part of new life in Jesus, that we don't like people, that we're mean, that we're angry at people. I'm excited up here, y'all, but I ain't mad at y'all. I'm mad at how Satan has duped us at times. But see, what what the world would have you to believe is because you take a stand for Jesus and are willing to say there is a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, and an eternal pain and an eternal life, that you're you're bad. But I want to say that actually is what moved Jesus to love. Go back with me in Matthew 9. You was in Matthew 4. We're going back to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to calm my voice down so y'all don't think I'm angry at you. (laughs) 
It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Look, look at what that proclamation produces in Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion on them. Me seeing a person that doesn't submit to Jesus should not produce an anger where I want to now beat you into the kingdom. It should break my heart that you're being fooled into this kingdom of nothing. Jesus' hearts breaks for these people. These people in this world were setting up false idols. They were worshiping all types of stuff. And we know that wasn't just for them. We know that just wasn't for them. See, I've had all types of idols that will rise in my life that I have to continually tear down. And we love Jesus. Imagine the world who doesn't know him at all. His heart breaks for them. And our heart should be breaking as well. I was uh, talking with a brother this week. He was like uh, telling me about a situation. And, and when he was talking about the situation, he was, he was actually celebrating the victory that a friend had. This friend was in deep addiction, and now the addiction that he struggles with uh, is still present, but he doesn't act on it in the way that he used to, so he's doing way better, and he was celebrating the victory that his friend was having. And he looked at me, and he was like, Pastor, like, 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 like I don't know if you've ever really struggled with addiction, but something like this is reason to praise. And that stuck with me. Because addiction is a, is, it's a form of enslavement. It's a form of bondage. If you have ever really been tied to something where you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that, and then you do it again, and then you say, I'm not going to do that, and then you do it again, and then you say, I'm not going to do that, and then you do it again. See, see that, that cycle, you start to be believing that you can never break the cycle. And sometimes the thing you're going to is a coping mechanism for how much you feel you suck in the cycle. And this guy was saying, and there's victory. But see, that type of vicious cycle of being addicted is an enslavement. And Jesus is coming to say, wait a minute, under that kingdom, you have very little hope for breaking the cycle. Under this one, I'll give you hope. So enslavement to something like lust, enslavement to drugs, enslavement to hustling, enslavement to anger, enslavement to work, enslavement to family, enslavement to pride and arrogance. All of these things, Jesus looks out and sees the people and he says, and I have compassion on them. That they're addicted to a worldview that puts them and what they desire in the center instead of me. See, I get jealous. I, I, I know how I am as a human. If, if the people that I created decided to worship something else, I'd be like, boop, forget your audience. You know what I'm saying? 
Jesus' heart breaks instead for you. He says, oh no, you're being duped. You're being fooled. You think that kingdom will get you something. Let me offer you victory from it. Let me help you break that cycle. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Y'all, we've been talking about, I've been talking about our, our, our five-year strategic plan, which is to sow, sow and allow there to be spaces where non-believers can interact with the church and, and get to see that the church is a loving place. Maybe the church like this sanctuary might be the first, might not be the first place a person who doesn't love God feels welcomed. Maybe it's on the hoop court. Maybe it's spades at your house. I don't know. We're, we're creating environments where we can sow God's word into people. Sow, grow, which means we look more like Jesus. Excuse me, sow, know, means we learn about who God is by reading his word. We understand the beauty of who God is and who he says we are by reading his word. Sow, know, grow. Growing is where we begin to look more like Christ. We reflect him. We do the things that he does. We just had a Father's Day. Well, let me finish. Sow, know, grow, go. Then we go out and we share the beauty of who God is in word and in deed. We just had Father's Day uh, last week, and I'm still holding on to that one, brothers. It was a great day, and uh, fathers get celebrated, and you know sometimes you let your birthday don't go your birthday. Your birthday go for a month, you know what I'm saying? So I'm holding on to Father's Day for a month. All right, all right. But one of the things I love that, that, that'll happen around Father's Day is parents or aunties or uncles will post pictures of, 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 a, of a grown man in an outfit and a little child in the same outfit holding up to the grown man's hand and the grown man just walking next to him. And they walk in, in step together. And, it's, and you see that, that beautiful imitation of outfits. And, and my kids, they'll imitate me at times. My daughter, if I'm sneezing, my daughter will just make herself sneeze. And she ain't even got to sneeze. You know what I'm saying? They just, they just, they're just imitating, just want to be like me. Want to be like whoever that parental figure is. It might be a mother, whoever. They want to be like us. And Jesus wants his disciples to be like him, to have hearts of compassion that are willing to communicate the beauty of his kingdom. That it starts with turning away from an evil kingdom. E, uh, Edith says this oftentimes. oftentimes. She'll, say, um, she'll say, be careful what you pray for. God just might ask you to do it. Be careful what you pray for, because God might ask you to do it. And that's what happens in this, in this verse. Verse 38, the Lord is telling them, I want, I'm ask, ask the Lord of the harvest. That means pray to God. 
Pray, seek him. Whenever we talk about evangelism, prayer should be a part of it. We don't go and talk to anyone about God in our own strength. Who am I? Who are you? We're, we're, we're just tools being used. So we ask God, go before us, go with us. But then the next chapter, if you can flip over with me to chapter 10, Jesus answers the prayer. In, in verse 38, he says, pray that therefore we would send out workers into the field. Chapter 10 says, oh, I got the workers. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And notice what it says in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. First, it was pray for somebody to harvest. Now it's y'all go harvest. You asked for it. You got it. But, but what are they doing? They're only doing what Jesus had already done. They're just imitating their father. Now he's given them power to go heal. Now he's given them the ability to go teach. And he's given them the ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. To repent and believe. Family, I'm not trying to guilt us. I'm not trying to anger us. What I want to do is convict us. I want our hearts to see that discussing something like repentance is right. That it's good. Now, pastor, but I get scared. Yep, we got so many hurdles in the way. Let's not talk about the hurdles yet. That's going to be another sermon. We got we going to address those. What we first have to do is believe that it's good. Believe that it's right. Believe that every person has potential and that God can do a work in their lives no matter how bad the situation is. Believe that God will use us. That's why you get the list of the 12. Jesus very easily could have said, I called 12 people to follow me. Now, y'all they did good. Jesus lets you know the name of the 12 people so you can see they was broken like you, baby. They was messed up like you. They was imperfect people that God uses for his perfect kingdom purposes. So if he can use them, he can use us as we encourage people to repent and choose God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, you are in control. You are leading and you are guiding. And Father, let us just have conviction that there's no other kingdom than yours that's worth living for. We don't want, give us wisdom of how to speak with folks. We can do so in a loving manner. We can have tact. We can have patience. We can do all these things. But let us not be willing to take a key po point of the gospel out because of other people, Lord. Let us allow repentance to be a part 
of people's wake-up call to change directions and to live for you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church family, y'all got them? Good. Yep, I, I, I should have counted y'all. Uh, can we get one more? My sister Tammy rolled out. Oh, man. Shiloh, could you bring me a, 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 a communion from the back, please? Yep, but you need one. Oh, you got two. Great. Then we're good. Right? Lonzo good? Right, man. Y'all would think that we planned this beforehand. I, I'm, trust me. Y'all know what happened, right? Jenny out of town. <laughs> Amen, y'all. Listen, we, we take communion to remind ourselves of the victory we have in Jesus. He commanded that we do this, that we remember what he has done and what he accomplished for us, that he walked with us, that he died for us so we could live victorious. You can peel back the plastic and pick up the wafer. If you are saying, I don't know about this God, we want to ask you not to take it communion because communion is something we do that's an act of worship. Uh, but we are still here and still want to walk with you and still want to see you flourish. This cracker, this wafer, it symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. Break it, take and eat. This juice, which represents Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin, take and drink. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for new life. We thank you for being reminded that, that you did a miraculous act for us. You do a miracle in healing people at times, Lord, and we... We thank you for when that happens. We also trust you when it doesn't, even though we don't understand. Father, you do all types of things that are beyond what we can understand. But the greatest thing that you've ever done for us was die so that we could have new life. And as we hear these kids in the gymnasium playing and having a fun and it's just this delightful noise coming in Lord it reminds us of the angels that are rejoicing every time someone says I'm willing to submit to Jesus and leave from the kingdom of evil to the kingdom of joy heaven rejoices God and we are thankful Father for what you offer us now Lord let us continue in worship as we sing out to you it's in Jesus name we pray